Listening Dog Media. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Offside Rule We Get It is brought to you by Continental Tyres. Hi there, folks. A very good morning, afternoon, evening, or whenever you are listening. This is me, Hayley McQueen, Lindsay Hooper, and Kate Borsay bringing you the Offside Rule podcast. We get it. Hello, girls. Hello. Uh, brought to you with Continental Tyres. <laughs> Thanks, Lindsay. Yeah. If anyone missed our Continental Cup final special, by the way, do download it and have a listen. Sue Smith in fine form last week, Lindsay. She was ably filling in for you, Hayley. Oh, Good. I haven't listened yet, which is really terrible. I haven't even listened. I know. So that's what I'm going to be doing tonight after this. But thank you for listening via Audio Boom. If you're not listening on Audio Boom, maybe you can download us on iTunes. Or if you're listening on iTunes, there's always Audio Boom. So there you have it. You can go to our YouTube channel as well, um, the Offside Rule TV, and follow us on Twitter for lots of information uh, about not just us, not just the podcast, but handy articles and blogs and opinion pieces as as well, offsiderulepodcast.com. Now, today, topics. Goodness me, it was an exciting weekend of football. Uh, in the Premier League in particular, there were own goals, there were eight nils, there was controversy, there were referees getting into trouble, there were managers getting into trouble talking about referees. So that is going to be one of our topics today. We're also going to be discussing cheats in football. We're not talking dirty, underhand kind of cheats, but just naughty players on the pitch or perhaps naughty managers or even naughty fans. We're going to be digging out some of the stories from the past because at the weekend, Swansea manager Gary Monk called Moses a cheat because he helped his side gain a penalty. He said he should have been ashamed of himself. So what other cheats or scenarios can you think of in the beautiful game? And I was at that game. I got to speak Ooh. to Victor Moses afterwards and I, I put that to him because we'd, we'd heard from Gary Monk beforehand. So I said, oh, what, what do you make of the fact that Gary Monk's saying that you dived? I didn't want to use the word Ooh. cheat outright. <laughs> um, and, and he said, well, you know, there was, there was definite contact. I, I felt him pulling on my shirt. You look at the replay, there is some contact. My argument would be that the pullage on the shirt was happening as he was going down. Mm. I didn't want to say that to Victor Moses' face, though. I like the fact that you've invented a word called pullage. Yeah. (laughs) That's nice. I invented that on a nightclub dance floor many years ago. As you were falling to the floor, someone someone pulled you up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. Right, well, one man who you could say may be cheating a living... That's just my opinion. Adel Tarrat, we haven't really seen too much of him this season, have we? Harry Redknapp said he left him out of the squad against Liverpool because he's getting too fat. He said he's fat and lazy. In fact, so fat, he's three stone overweight. He would be a great player if he got fit, if he just went back to remembering why they signed him in the first place. So we're going to talk about things that you can award a player that they might be missing to make them absolutely world class. So there's a player that's got something, just needs a little bit of extra to make them magical. Tarrat just needs a diet and then he'd be fine. <laughs> yes, I couldn't agree more. I thought Harry Redknapp um, was being quite fair, really. You know he's always brutally honest, but a lot of journalists have written since that is it his responsibility to get Tarrat in shape. Mm. And as a human being, I think we all have to take responsibility for our own form and yeah. fettle, don't we? 
I remember Meadow at Middlesbrough actually had it written into his contract. He had to come back mm. for pre-season training at a certain weight or he's allowed to go a few pounds over or under and if he wasn't, he'd be fined and they'd have him in the gym doing double sessions. Are we really talking three stone or is this a little bit of the red nap exaggeration <laughs> machine? Slightly exaggerated, I think. If he lost three stone, I'm not sure there'd be much of Adel Terap left. Um, Luke Shaw, another case in point though, Van Gaal saying that he wasn't ready at the start of the season, came back from the World Cup, had taken his eye off the ball a bit or put his eye more on pizzas. Who knows what happened? Um, it's interesting, that debate and the, and the physicality that comes into football now. Maybe a few of us will be giving players some bodily grit. Well, let's hope that some of these topics spark a bit of debate and chat between you all on Twitter. And we will, of course, have Sean Thorne bringing us Twitter topic of the week in this particular podcast as well. But let's start with the first topic. Own goal gaff. My goodness, QPR's Richard Dunn made history for all the wrong reasons at the weekend, scoring his 10th own goal in Liverpool's win at Loftus Road to put the opposition 1-0 up to top it off. It was another uh, own goal uh, as well that just completely ruined them. It was a shame. I felt sorry for him. Stephen Colker condemned QPR to that crushing defeat uh, at home, rooting Harry Redknapp's men to the, the foot of the Premier League table and he walked off looking very defeated indeed. It wasn't a good weekend for, for own goals, was it? Because you've got Alan Hutton as well at Villa and the genie. Oh my, what an impressive own goal that was for Sunderland. Oh dear, yeah. But where do these own goals rank over the years in the Football League in terms of importance? What have the implications been of famous own goals? Could be rivalry, revenge, leagues won and scandals sparked. Let's start with Kate Borsay. I'm going to start with a song. Don't blame it on Hammond, don't blame it on Biscan, don't blame it on Finnan, blame it on Traore. I'm sure you all know what I'm talking about. Popular in the terraces at Liverpool. Of course I do. I was there when Big Fun were out. Um, This has to go down as one of the most embarrassing own goals for Liverpool. Uh, Liverpool losing 1-0 courtesy of an own goal from Jimmy Traore when they played Burnley in the FA Cup. It was the fourth round game so they got dumped out in the third round because of a calamitous own goal by Jimmy Traore. None of us can forget it. None of us can quite... I, I, I can't forget the shame and embarrassment of reading about that on the day. I don't think I watched it. I think I read about it afterwards and just thinking what on earth was going on there and having watched then the replays afterwards it was just like no I thought this was embarrassing this is even worse than embarrassing this is this is more embarrassing than embarrassingness personified (laughs) it was that bad it really was Liverpool they've had a really bad history in terms of own goals there was the famous one when Steven Gerrard gifted Chelsea the uh, the League Cup final in 2005 John Anarisa started the game with one of the quickest goals in League Cup final history before about 79 minutes Steven Gerrard just he just headed into his own goal it was really bizarre he was heading to clear there were three players with him instead he headed right into his own goal there was nothing at all that could be done about it he forced the game into extra time Time and they ended up losing the League Cup final because of Steven Gerrard. There's more I could go on, but I'm going to pass on to you, Lindsay. We should say, actually, for anyone listening who's wanting to go and have a look, uh, there are YouTube f- videos available of all of these things that we're talking about. Certainly the, the one that I'm going to talk about now. Um, so do go on and have a look. It's always worth reminding yourself about a howler of an own goal because it does make you smile. Um, speaking of smiling, I thought I'd give QPR fans something to smile about. A nice memory because I felt for them at the weekend. Talking of cheating and stealing, I thought you stole uh, two points 
points from them at the weekend, to be yeah. honest, Kate. Liverpool, I, I thought they were harshly done by. It was more about QPR's gift of scoring goals in the wrong end mm. than it was about Liverpool scoring goals in the right end, wasn't it, really? Well, you have to take what you can get, I suppose. <laughs> um, but let's give them something to smile about because this was an own goal that kept QPR up. So in terms of importance, huge importance, it was one that came from Jamie Pollock. Uh, lots of people might remember this who are a little bit older. Um, it's back in the divisions when we were talking divisions one, division two. So it's back in division two. Manchester City were the team they were playing against and it effectively relegated them from the league. So importance on both ends, this goal. Um, months, months later, this is the thing that I love about this story. Um, you, you've got to remember this is before the days of social media. So to get something on the internet back then took some doing but it did there was an online poll and QPR supporters all clubbed in together to make sure that this poll was rigged and the poll which include Pollock I'm going to have a lot of polls and Pollocks in here was about the most influential man of the past 2,000 years of which they managed to get Jamie Pollock top and Jesus came in second apparently (laughs) oh dear absolutely brilliant well because this topic was a spark partly from that Sunderland game with Virginie gifting Southampton their first goal via an own goal in that 8-0 win Bridka also put the ball in his own net that was for the fourth so I'm going back in history uh, to Sunderland as well back in February 2003 Sunderland actually became the first Premier League team to score three own goals in a single match not by the same player it was a 3-1 defeat to Charlton at the Stadium of Light as well at home Stephen Wright put the ball in his own net before a further two own goals scored by Michael Proctor wrapped up that uh, very unlucky afternoon uh, for the Wearsiders there um Newcastle as well, the North East. Yeah. They, they, they seem to like to be scoring on goals, the costliest on goal, perhaps Damien Duff. Didn't Newcastle relegate themselves because of that? Was that right? They did. At Aston Villa in 2009, they relegated themselves because of that decisive own goal. Dropped out of the Premier League and plummeted down, of course. Um, bit of trivia for you here. You mentioned, Kate, Steven Gerrard. Well, Liverpool players, they just seem oh, to... Oh, it's a, it's a nightmare. It isn't. It's pretty bad. The only other two <laughs> players to have scored two own goals in a match, Jamie Carragher yes. and, of course, Jonathan Walters at Stoke City, who we've had much chat over in yeah. previous podcasts. We're talking about just having a nightmare game and this is a Middlesbrough connection for you as well, Hayley. Jonathan Woodgate, uh, 2005, his first game for Real Madrid after coming back from injury and remember there was a huge hullabaloo over him going. It was a big money move. He had a lot to prove. First game back after injury, he scored an own goal in a match that he later received a red card. Yeah. He then went on to score another own goal two games later in a friendly against Real Zaragoza. That is own goals coming to uh, Hall you, isn't it? I once, when I was playing, tried to clear in my own defensive area a ball with sort of an overhead acrobatic oh, kick, wow. which I realised halfway through doing it, I couldn't actually execute. Yeah. <laughs> so the ball ended up hitting me on the thigh and then off my arm. So, of course, the referee blows for a penalty. Mm. And do you know what, Faye, I will never forget you. You saved that goal, that, that penalty, and saved my blushes. Um, so thank you to Faye at my school. Hi, I'm Jeff Stelling, and you're listening to The Offside Rule. Three women talking about football. I'm used to listening to four old women talking about football on Saturday afternoons, so I'll definitely prefer this. OK, next up, 
Cheat, cheat, cheat. That's right. Keeps coming up, doesn't it? Players don't know when to stay on their feet, as Ray Wilkins would say. At the weekend, this yet again was highlighted because a Swansea manager, Gary Monk, called Moses the cheat for helping his side gain that penalty. And in the post-match said he should be ashamed of himself. So we're going to be talking about cheats or cheating scenarios that you can think of in the beautiful game. Either completely deliberate people trying to do things to gain an advantage for their side against the opposition or just something a bit naughty and a little bit silly. Let's start with you, Lindsay. Well, I'm going to go for a collective here because I think it happens up and down the leagues in football in this country, all over the world. It's something that's issued out as an order now from managers. One manager in particular, because our Twitter topic of the week is involving a certain Mr Mourinho this week. Uh, Let's talk about him because I think every time uh, Chelsea go up against Arsenal, this is one of the orders that he gives out. Because we know that Arsenal rely on their midfield flair, they're passing it and trying to literally pass it into the back of the net most of the time. Um, Mourinho knows how to stop that and he stops it very well, which is why I believe Wenger's never had any success against Mourinho. Mm. And part of that is what I would call verging on cheating. It is clipping someone's heels. It's that little delicate pull back of the shirt. The things that don't get pulled up, but that really have an influence on a game. You see it. If you go back over the years that we've had Mourinho versus Wenger games... Mm. It's often apparent that the Chelsea players have been told, get physical, get in their face, get in their ear, clip their heels, bring them down. All the things that you can get away with without getting a booking. Chelsea have always been a very physical team, haven't they, compared to Wenger's team, who would you, who he would like to think would play with more skill and more panache. Uh, I need to see you to get the word pullage in there as well when you're talking about a slight pullage of, of the shirt when you're talking about Mourinho's tactics. Are you on a quest to get this in the Oxford Dictionary yeah. or something? <laughs> funny how it's the foreign managers who are kind of okay with their players cheating are good old British managers up there making sure they're keeping the game clean naughty Mourinho and Wenger well, I think that you have to say there, there are some teams, you know, you look at Allardyce-led teams. I mean, he always goes for the physical. I wouldn't say that he ever issues an order to his back four of, of don't pull them, don't, <laughs> don't get under their skin, um, don't give them an, a slight elbow here and there. I think that physicality in the game is great because I think it's what makes the English game particularly attractive around the world. Um, We don't like to see diving. We don't like to see uh, people falling over left, right and centre. But there is that level and you'll always have that grey area, won't you, in any sport that you do to a professional level whereby you play the rules as far as you can push them. Mm. Um, And some managers are brilliant at issuing those orders. I happen to think that Mourinho is one of them. Yes, quite. And I quite like coming in to work. After a weekend and the headlines aren't about diving and cheating, it's nice to have headlines, maybe not if you're a Sunderland fan with the 8 nil and own goals, uh, but yes, keeping it clean is what it's all about. Um, being clean about your age can cause a few problems. Now, I read this story. I had plenty of things to bring up about players who are well known for, for, you know, being a bit naughty on the pitch. Uh, But I have been looking into the history books and back in the 1999 Under-17 World Championship, I just like the story because it was quite funny. Nigeria beat Japan 9-0. Something a bit fishy. The Nigerian players, they were absolutely huge. But of course, they're big, strong, athletic types. The Japanese known for being slightly more slight. Well, Japan's French manager at the time, Philippe Troussier, said after the game, he saw one of the players, the Nigeria under-17 players, get into a taxi. That's right, because not quite old enough to, Mm. to drive. No. He was accompanied by his wife and two children. (laughs) 
Yes, <laughs> implying that Nigeria had in fact fielded over-age players. Either that or he started early, didn't he? Yes. <laughs> Uh, there's another one as well. Lots of players with, with kind of false documents. But sometimes, obviously, these players are brought up and you're not issued with birth certificates in the way that we are. But a Cameroon international football defender, a Toby Mimobi, or Toby, <laughs> Toby, Toby Mimboe, I'm not too sure, held several documents during the course of his career that basically said that every few years he was a different age. It kept going backwards. Oh, so when he was 25... He was probably actually 35. Then he got to 28. Suddenly he was 26. It was just very complicated. So he was kind of going back. It was like the Benjamin Button effect. It hasn't caused too many issues until there was a ban. In 1989, the Nigeria Youth National Team banned from FIFA for fielding overage players. There you go, with their organised youth tournaments. So 10 years before the Under-17 World Championships, Nigeria were actually banned for two years and stripped from the right to host the 1991 World Youth Championship. There you go. A couple of historical ones here for you. In fact, I'm going to go to a very recent example of cheating, which left the player with egg on his face. Um, Brazilian league match, Leandro Diamel, he's um, a Santos player. Um, he uh, basically tried to win a free kick by indicating to the referee that his shirt had been tugged. But when the replay footage came back, it actually showed the very same player tugging his own shirt. So a bit of self-pullage there, Lindsay. (laughs) How you think you can get away with tugging your own shirt to fool the referee, I'm not sure, because surely there needs to be another player involved there somewhere. But that that was a very recent one. Um, Chilean international Brian Carrasco um, also cheated horrendously during an under-20 match with Ecuador in 2001. Uh, he actually grabbed the arm of an opponent. So if no one's going to hit you, you might as well assimilate. You know, rather than someone foul him to get what he needed to get out of the game, he just picked up another player's arm and hit himself <laughs> in the face with it to try and get what he'd like to get out of it. Let, let's think of a really famous incident. But this happens, again, another example of mine, which I think happens in Sunday League football all the way up to the Premier League. Um, you remember the uh, Matarazzi headbutt yeah. in the World Cup. And that all came around because he was in his saying all sorts of things about his sister, wasn't it, I think? Apparently. Apparently. Um, Can you imagine how often that happens in football, Mm. which we don't hear? It's sort of the reason why. In rugby, they have the ref cam, and um, it means that when you tune in, you can actually hear the referee's orders. Now, I think sometimes you pick up players talking Mm. on that. I bet you there have been examples, especially, can you imagine the players that there's a few things that you could target them for if they've got a particularly attractive mother? I imagine that a few players might go there. A particularly attractive grandmother. Who knows? Um, But you can just imagine the tit for tat that goes on amongst players on the field. A lot more stories come out from cricket, you know, the kind of sledging, doesn't it? But then they're stood around for a lot longer and they get into conversations and they can kind of interact with the crowd somewhat. Well, adult rat might have enough time to get involved, according to (laughs) Harry. Yeah, quite. Let's head over to our Twitter topic of the week. What have you got for us, Sean Thorne? Twitter Topic of the Week. So after the Crystal Palace game, Jose Mourinho described Cesc Fabregas's goal as a scandal and unbelievable football because it was so good. Uh, Eniola Aluko tweeted that she's probably going to be using that bit of Mourinho lingo with the hashtag so, 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 so scandalous. Uh, so this week we're asking you for your favourite Mourinho moments and uh, pretty much lost a good 45 minutes of my life to a Mourinho YouTube binge thanks to this topic. And it's also made me sad that my Mourinho impression isn't quite on point enough to be broadcast quality. But Olivia... 
Uh, she's gone for uh, Mourinho running down the Old Trafford touchline as Porto dumped United out of the Champions League thanks to Francisco Costinha's last-minute equaliser. Now, I remember that clear as day, but here's a depressing stat. That was over 10 years ago, March 2004. Ridiculous. Uh, Olivia's also thrown in Mourinho's declaration as the special one as one of the best quotes ever. Now, where did the special one thing come from? Now, that was Mourinho's first press conference as the new Chelsea manager. Fish that out. That is a good watch. He's like, this is an arrogance, but I think I am a special one. Well, yeah, that is what you are, Mourinho. Definitely a special one. A Sonic's gone for when Mourinho first arrived at the Premier League and said Wenger and Ferguson are the fire and I'm the smoke that rises above And Mourinho loves having a pop at old Wenger. My favourite was just the pure outrageousness of the voyeur comment. Just unbelievable scenes. A Sonic's also gone for when Mourinho described the Barcelona pitch as a sack of potatoes. Interesting imagery there from the special one. And that's all for Twitter Topic of the Week this week. I've been Sean Thorne and I'm going to hand you back to the girls. Brilliant. Thank you very much for that, Sean. OK, we haven't seen too much of uh, Tarrat this season. Harry Redknapp has called him fat and lazy. So we'd like to put him on a diet. We'd like to bring back his skills. But he kind of made us think, you know, he'd be a great player if he just got fit. If you could award any one player anything to make them just that little bit better, what would you award them and why? I was just going to laugh because I was going to say we should put to wrapped on the Ronaldo diet and then I thought I should clarify which Ronaldo because <laughs> this is a very different look. <laughs> yeah. Um, so shall I start with this one? I, I feel very strongly about this. Um, it's where I overlap with Kate Borsay when it comes to a former Liverpool player in, in my fondness for him. I know a lot of people have suddenly recognised the immense amount of talent that he has. But for many years, especially when he was at Liverpool, I think he was a forgotten man. And that's Xabi Alonso. I absolutely love him as a player. He's up there for me in sort of my top ten. And I think if we handed him a lot of arrogance, you sort of Zlatan Ibrahimovic or Ronaldo, Cristiano that is, um, style arrogance to his play, then I think we would be looking at a Ballon d'Or winner. But in his heyday, what a player, versatile, both feet, could do everything, couldn't he? He was the sort of player in a Cesc Fabregas sort of way, could dictate play, be a real playmaker. But he was also great when it came to free kicks, to corners, delivery, um, great goal scorer. He got all that skill all that energy, he would run round. So the thing that I think he was missing really was just a bit of blow your own trumpet. Mm, um, I'm going to focus on another Liverpool player as well. And I know I'm like a dog with a bone and I can't let it lie. And I can't believe I'm going to say this actually. Mario, I, I like to call him Badgetelli because I just can't get over the haircuts. <laughs> uh, Mario Balotelli. I think he needs to be a bit more annoying on the pitch. I think he needs to harangue people a little bit more. I think he goes missing. I think he's inconsistent. Lindsay's given me some very weird looks. I think he's in danger of being the new Berbatov. He needs to get in there. He needs to annoy people a little bit more. That's where Suarez came into his own. And I know he's not Suarez, but he just, for me, goes missing. He stands. He doesn't move enough. He doesn't get in people's faces enough. And to me, if he added that annoyingness to his game he could achieve a lot more the reason why he goes missing is because he switches off he needs a new brain he needs to be able to concentrate for 90 minutes someone needs to explain to him with injury time as well sometimes you know Mario a football match might even get nearer 100 minutes in total when you've got added time for the first half and second you need to be switched on for all of that amount of time a few things doesn't go his way his head drops he's disinterested he gets distracted as well very easily I mean for someone who 
who in post-match can talk about things that are happening in the crowd. Um, he's got a, a great ability to do it. Well, he should be focused on what's happening on the pitch. You can tell when his mind's wandering as well. You can just kind of see it. And it's like when you're at work and you're doing something and you start to put a to-do list together in your head and then you kind of go off and think about something else. It's only 90 minutes or 94 or 96 or 98, depending on how much added time mm-hmm. there is on the end. That's all you have to concentrate for. You know what it is, don't you? I mean, November's coming up. He's thinking fireworks, Catherine wheels. (laughs) (laughs) Stop it. So you guys would argue he needs that little level of concentration. And I get that. But I think if he was interested in haranguing players more, he wouldn't have his mind taken off the ball by just standing there and and sort of coasting his way through parts of a game. If he concentrated on just getting in everyone's faces, he'd give himself something to do. In fact, he does not fit this bill, Kate Ball, say, for this topic, because he needs more than one thing, as well as a new brain for concentration. (laughs) He also needs to just do the simple. Simple will suffice. That open begging goal we saw at the weekend in the Premier League. (laughs) He didn't need to go for spectacular, which Mario Bellatelli wants to do. Mm. Sometimes you can just do a right-footed, slot it into the net. You're absolutely right. It doesn't get more simple than that, does it? Open goal in front of you. What do you do? Just bang it in, Mario, for God's sake. (laughs) Do you know he's had more attempted shots? 30 shots without actually scoring than any other player in the top five European leagues this season. This means he's either on the verge of something brilliant or about to be one of Liverpool's most frustrating signings of all time. Richard Dunn, by the way, he'd be a much better player if he learned to score goals in the correct net, wouldn't he? Or or just not even worry about scoring. (laughs) He could just take that away from his game altogether, couldn't he, as a defender? Don't even try, Richard Dunn. Don't even try and score, because every time you have, it's kind of gone wrong. (laughs) Mine is very simple, a lot less technical than you two. I would simply give Ryan Giggs a second chance to play for a different country. I'd go back in time and say, right, there you go. You can be English. You can play for England, right? Because I absolutely 100% think that if Ryan Giggs had played for England instead of Wales, England would have achieved more over the years. And how great would it have been to have seen Ryan Giggs playing in major tournaments? I also think it would have given Paul Scholes a little bit of extra drive to maybe want to play for England a bit more and play for England a bit longer. Can you imagine those two playing together for England over the last however many years? Kind of made me think about it um, this week. I was at a Nordoff Robbins charity event and they were honouring Ryan Giggs and he was up there with Nicky Butt and Phil Neville and Gary and they were all chatting about him and saying how great he was and it was just purely highlights of his Manchester United career with a tiny little hint of him playing for Wales and I just thought this would be a very different night and a very different type of conversation or a very different kind of celebration had he have been as great for Manchester United as he was for his country but unfortunately his country didn't get to the major tournaments that England did. But I would argue with you that Gareth Bale is deemed world class. Now he plays for Wales, and I but think he'll part- still never achieve anything. He'll never achieve anything great. He may not play in the Euros internationally, yes, or play in a World Cup. And I think a player like that to be denied playing in a major tournament, I just think it's really sad. Well, you, you've actually gone along a path that I was going, but I didn't go for the country versus club route. I've gone for a player and giving him a different club. So Matt Letissier, I think if you take his Southampton days away, Southampton fans scream in the background. Um, But if you put him with a club at that time like Liverpool or Manchester United, I think he may have been deemed world class. And also if we take a few, which has only started to happen recently with the likes of Gareth Bale, if we took a few of our bigger players and shipped them abroad and let them play for the teams like Barcelona and Real Madrid, um, maybe tried them out at 
Inter Milan, Juventus, uh, some other bigger sides back in their day, would we have seen the likes of Alan Shearer? He's huge in this country, but I don't think around the world he's known as being a world beater. How interesting would it have been if Alan Shearer had signed for United like Sir Alex Ferguson had wanted him to. It could have completely changed the path of his career. Respect in one way to the likes of Letizia and Shearer who stayed true to their hometown clubs and didn't go for the big glory search. But in a way there is definitely a big question mark over whether they could have become truly world class having had that stage. I'll tell you what, that is going to be one of the topics discussed in our Europod, of course, brought to you by HTC, which you can listen to. Uh, We've had the preview already. We'll have a review after the Champions League games um, have taken place. Of course, you'll be listening to this after you've seen Tuesday and Wednesday night's football. So you can listen to that via Audioboo. For plenty more, you can go to the Offside Rule TV via YouTube. You can follow us on Twitter at Offside Rule Pod and our website as well, OffsideRulePodcast.com. And we've even got a Facebook page too. You can come and like us. Big thumbs up to the offside rule. Well, thank you very much indeed for listening. Can I just add in, you know what I'd add to both of you to make you both world class? Oh, oh nothing. Oh, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> we, Kate and I have a list. We're, we're, we've got a... <laughs> Only it kidding. It starts with Wolverhampton Wanderers. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a long list, Lindsay. Yeah. It's a long list. Only kidding. But thank you. On that note, we'll take the compliment. So thank you very much for listening from Kate, myself and Lindsay. Check out exclusive football content daily on OffsideRulePodcast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.